Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 9, week 9, number 9, 9. Massive, massive show this week. Words to describe how excited I am about this show won't do it justice. This week we've got the Mosh News, we've got some big Mosh reviews, and I have an interview, sit-down chat with Brock of 36 Crazy Fists. All of that is coming up in this week's show. First up is Mosh News. This week we had confirmation from Tool themselves through their Facebook page that they are in fact recording their first album in over 14 years. Yes, they have confirmed it. They are actually doing it. All the ins and outs of Maynard has been pulling, has all stopped. They have admitted they are recording. We will be seeing an album very soon. I'm tipping by the end of this year we will actually see it at about fucking time. New tour music on the way. Other news this week was Parkway Drive. The big boys themselves announced their new album, Reverence is going to be released in May. And to coincide with the news, they dropped a new film clip for their song, The Void, from the album. So this will be their sixth album. They, of course, have been dropping a few studio teasers and showing how the development of the album has gone. And as you hear in those clips, they've said they're pushing the envelope. Now, we know their last album really pushed into the stadium anthem sound the new metal tinged influence, the 80s sound, I'd almost say as well. I loved that album. And this album sounds already, from the two songs we've heard, it sounds like it's more of the same, but amped up even more. Of course, it's already causing a bit of divide on the social media warrior landscape. People are saying it's horrible. People are saying that they've lost all touch. I don't think at all. I think this album will be their black album. This is going to be an album that's going to send them into the stratosphere of the rankings of heavy artists. Parkway Drive are already a massive band, but this is going to make them even bigger. Really excited for that album. That album's reverence, as I said. It's dropping in May through Epitaph Records. Can't wait to get hold of it. Can't wait to delve into it. We also got confirmation this week that Unearth are going into the studio with Will Putney. And they have also signed a worldwide deal with Century Media. So fucking glad Unearth are coming back. So fucking keen. Century Media definitely give a lot of bands of this ilk a chance to drive forward. Really excited for these guys. Really excited to see what it sounds like. Because as we've said previously, DL of the Acacia Strain and Legend fame has been helping out with the writing process. Really excited to see what this album sounds like. We, of course, will keep you update on any further details about the album. We know when it gets released. Other news this week. The band that you either love or hate, Five Finger Death Punch, announced their seventh album will be called And Justice For None. Bit of an interesting title, to be honest. As soon as you start saying And Justice For, you go, all. It's just a Metallica reference, isn't it? It's just automatic. So, interesting title picked. They've got a... uh, Very similar artwork as usual. This album will be huge no matter what. Whether you love them or hate them, you know that Five Finger Death Punch have a rabid fan base. Very much in America. There's also a big build in Europe. 
Not sure how Australia really feels about them. They haven't been here too much. They came down for their own tour quite a while back now, but they also appeared on Soundwave. They've got their fans. They've also got their haters. This album will be Five Finger Death Punch. I'm not expecting too many curveballs. We never know, but that will be coming out in standard. They'll also do deluxe. There's different artworks for both. All of those details are on our website. And we will keep you up to date on anything else to do with the new Five Finger Death Punch as we get it. Other news this week. We heard that Mareball have completely finished the recording process. They're into the mixing and mastering process of their new album. We also got told the new album will be called For The Cause coming out on Nuclear Blast. We also got told Ice-T will be giving a guest appearance on one of the tracks along with Tim Armstrong from Rancid Fame who also did the recording and producing of the album. Can't wait. I'm an absolute madball fiend. This album, apparently from all reports from the boys in the band, will be pushing themselves to the next limit, offering a bit of everything that the hardcore scene can deliver. Really excited. We will be keeping you updated on any further details that come to light. We also had this week a new music video from For The Fallen Dreams for their track Unstoppable, which is from their new album Six. We also had a music video, or a live music video, if you will, from Justice for the Damned. All of those details, all of those music videos, all of those news articles are on our website and our social medias, which are all at The Mosh Zone. Make sure you're jumping on the website, themoshzone.com. Get on there, keep up to date, like and follow the pages. We keep you updated when we know. We keep you in the loop. If you subscribe to our website, which it will pop up and ask you if you want to, not only are you going to be part of the Moshstone community, but coming up over the next month or two, we will be having special offers and special discount codes for things coming up from merch to albums to stores you want to make sure you've subscribed so you stay in the loop and also by subscribing you're staying in the loop whenever a news article or a podcast is released it lets you know so you're not missing out on anything that happens within the mosh zone community now it's time for mosh reviews first up this week is the new album by between the buried and me called automator i out now on Sumerian Records. Very interesting to hear a band like Between the Buried and Me this far into their career. This is their eighth album so far. Not only are these guys supremely talented at what they do, but they continually challenge the genre boundaries and each album is thoroughly enjoyable in its own right. Between the Buried and Me have been considered by many as pioneers of the progressive genre. They're a band that started out very rough around the edges, but all bands do. And as they've gone on, they've honed their craft, they've experimented along the way, and they've matured as a band. Their sound, when we say it's progressive, it basically is melding every style of music you know into one CD. While not a lot has changed with what this band has offered since albums like Colours, 
there is still a lot going on. There is the jarring transitions, the bluesy rock jam moments, the heavy metalcore moments, the 70s prog influences, and it's all sitting there in this sonic abusive foundation that they call metal. We come into this album with a band that, as I said, has done eight albums, and now they're finally settling into almost a mode, it feels like. They know what they're doing now, they know what they do and don't want to do, and they're just setting in. And I don't mean that in a negative way, I just mean that they have found their spot. The interesting concept that Between the Buried and Me have done here is they've said that their album's are usually too long for people to digest in one take. So what they've done is they've taken their album, they've split it into two parts. This Automator Eye is their first part. It clocks in at around 35 minutes, and it is actually a lot easier to digest a band like this when it is kind of streamlined as they've aimed. Because it's streamlined, you're also not feeling bored. You're not feeling like there's too much going on. The riffs feel crunchier this time than their last album, Coma Ecleptic. The grooves feel tighter and more punchy. The vocals are more dynamic and in your face. But they also still jump around in key signatures and time signatures. And they're sampling every flavor that you could think. A previous criticism I had of Between the Buried and Me was they quite often introduced themes and concepts in a song or in an album and never resolved them. It feels like now that they're not only developing and introducing a lot of things, but they're resolving it over the course of this entire album. A big dramatic improvement on this album for me is the utilization of the singer Tommy. His synth work that he does used to be very front and center in In Your Face, but now it's been subtly drawn back and his vocal variety is on more of a show. It lets you get involved more in the music. He uses mid-range screams. He tenderly, melodically sings to you. And there's also some falsetto stuff going on, some guttural growls going on, some kind of yelly screams going on. And then there's the effects that are thrown over the top that all ease the transition from his harsh to cleans and from cleans to harsh. At times, this album can feel to an outsider like a Devon Townsend homage, if you will. The... The death metal riffage that's mixed in with a jazz fusion. It feels like Devon quite often if you're not used to Between the Buried and Me. Rhythmically and musically, the band has never probably sound as tight as they do on Automata I. The band don't feel like they're throwing random ideas around in a song and just seeing what happens. There still is that tendency, but it feels a bit more confined. And it feels like the band are really creating epic atmospheres, epic music, and big sounds. I don't think Between the Buried and Me have ever sound so spot on than they have on this album. I feel like 
they have had better albums overall, but I think the package that is delivered feels perfectly timed and just what this band needed in their career. They also don't sound bored. Quite a few of these progressive bands, when they get so deep into their career, start to sound bored. Seems like Between the Buried and Me are very fresh in their ideas, very fresh in their approach, and still loving everything they're doing. The album is definitely a step in the right direction for what's coming in their career. They're headed towards greatness. Not that they already haven't probably achieved it in a lot of people's eyes. This album finds a sweet spot between the progressive antics and the tech metalcore roots that this band are known for. It's also a very modern prog album. Between the Buried and Me have definitely made sure you don't forget that this band sits head and shoulders above a lot of the competition in the scene and the genre. I can't wait to see what part two sounds like. This album is for fans of progressive metal or the progressive scene in itself. This album is for fans of time signatures, massive riffs. This is for fans of Devon Townsend. This is for fans of Periphery. This is for fans of Gent. I was really surprised with how much I liked it. I think it's a well-rounded, well-delivered piece of art and that's exactly what I think Between the Buried and Me want you to know. This is art to them and they want you to take it as art and pay attention to it and enjoy it. Delve in and discover what this band has to offer. This album we are talking about is Automator Eye. It is from Between the Buried and Me. It is out now on Sumerian Records and we give it an 8 out of 10. Next album up for review is the new album by Twitching Tongues called Gaining Purpose Through Passionate Hatred, out now on Metal Blade Records. First off, absolutely killer artwork on this and absolutely love the name of the album. If you haven't seen them, get online, have a look at that artwork, absolutely love it. This album is Twitching Tongues' fourth release. They are probably one of the most diverse bands in the hardcore genre. They have a tendency to merge 90s-influenced metal grooves with a very sludgy, doomy, stoner, hardcore rhythm. There is mainly clean vocals, but there is the harsh screams as well. Since the offset, this band have been laying a foundation within the hardcore scene to become one of the most talked about names in that scene. Their last album, Disharmony, gained a lot of negativity, unfortunately. It felt like the band hadn't quite reached the point that they wanted, and the hype that was being thrown on them maybe got to them. But this album has hit all the marks. Gaining purpose through passionate hatred has, thank God, succeeded where we prayed it would. This band have always given homage to the gothic feels of typo negative and they still play that Pete Steele-esque crooning feel on some songs like Long Gone. There is a big sense of gamble on this album and while sometimes it doesn't work, this gamble feels like it's paid off for Twitching Tongues. 
there is always still that gothic feel, that gothic vein of typo negative on this album, like there quite often is. And I don't think that's a negative. I think that's great. Typo negative are an underrated, amazing band. Songs like Long Gone, which is kind of a ballad of the bunch, has such a Pete Steele-esque croon to it, and it's so dark, disturbing, and beautiful. Twitching Tongues revisit their bluesy guitar riffs that made them so known and popular in their early years on songs like TFR and the half-titled track Gaining Purpose. Having a new guitarist in this band, Sean of Hatebreed, Death Threat and 100 Demons, he's come in and he's made his presence known with some crushing hardcore riffage. Sean has made a massive impression on this band's sound and it's fucking phenomenal. At times, this album is in your face and abrasive and at times it draws back and it gives you brightness, melodicness, dark, eerie sense and a dark tone. Gaining purpose through passionate hatred is without a doubt worth all the praise that this album should get. There is some flaws. Sometimes the serenade-feeling vocals do wear on you, but that is if you're really trying to pick at this band. There are a couple of songs that feel like they were B-sides from Disharmony, songs like Forgive and Remember, but then you've got songs like The Sound of Pain that has just got a one-two punch in it and it and makes you forget about any mistake going on. While Twitching Tongues still have some low points, this is one of the most fluid and best albums they have made. There are always going to be growing pains in any band that is doing a style crossover that this band does. They're finding their spot, they're finding the sweet spot. You can't help but commend and say, fuck yeah, to a band like Twitching Tongues that are willing to push the hardcore and the doomy metal. This is for fans of Twitching Tongues. This is for fans of massive riffs. This is for fans of Hatebreed, Sick of It All, Danzig, Down, Typo Negative. This is for fans of the gloomy dark with the heavy riff. There is so much groove in this album that if you love a good headbang, you'll love this album. Hopefully this album will give Twitching Tongues a bit of their name back. I feel they were unrightly slandered with their last album, Disharmony, and I think gaining purpose through passionate hatred will actually get them back where they belong. Being on Metal Blade will definitely help as well. I'm excited to see what this year brings for this band. I'm excited to see how much people love this album I think this is a top-notch effort. I really think they're on their way. I think we'll have an absolute 10 out of 10 with the next thing they've done, but this is very close. This album I am talking about is Gaining Purpose Through Passionate Hatred, which is the new release by Twitching Tongues, out now on Metal Blade Records, and I give it an 8.5 out of 10. Last album up for review this week is the debut release 
by English Boys Conjurer, and that album's called Maya, and it's out now on Holy Raw Records. Conjurer are a band that play a sludgy, extreme post-metal vibe. Conjurer have been making a name for themselves in England since 2014 when they first appeared. They've had two EPs, and their last EP, I in 2016 created such a big swell in the English scene and in Europe. Many people were saying these guys were the next biggest thing. That EP was so special that they've taken their time to create an album that's worthy of their expectations. The first thing that hits you straight out of the gate is the big riffs anyone that loves guitar in any manner and loves a good fucking riff show is going to love this album it feels so intense so sonically pummels your senses the guitars are fucking huge on this album the album kicks off with a track titled choke and it's so heavy so menacing It doesn't take long for the riff to kick in. And then they're off to the races. It is slow and lumbering, but insanely heavy. There's rumble, and it shakes the foundations. You need to pay attention. Conjurer are saying, we're fucking here. Scruffy, gruffy vocals increase the heaviness. And before you know it, there's a massive injection of pace that just takes this whole song into a different realm of extreme metal. Blast beats and bulldozing riffs. It just hits you unexpectedly. Surprisingly, with all this sonic barrage, there is also a feel of accessibility. This feels like, for what it is, it is it is gainable for a lot of metal fans of any ilk. Anyone could really delve into this album and love it. The song Hollow continues on a positive footing that this album's already set. Massive bass guitar, heavy and booming. There's an enormous chorus within this song that has power and it sits beautifully within the quieter moments and it has maximum effect. My favourite song on the album, if I had to pick one, would be Thankless. It comes out hissing and snarling at you straight away. There's this big, chunky riff, and then bang, out of nowhere, you're hit with some clean vocals, an injection of melody, and then the variety within the song that keeps going on. It goes from clean to melodic guitars. There's passages of atmosphere, and then there's bludgeoning, extreme metal This song is the one that made me sit up and take notice the most. This song, Thankless, I had to play multiple times after another. Just kept playing repeat, just like, give me more, give me more, give me more. I was shocked that this is a debut release. I was shocked that this band has so much talent. I was like, fuck, I'm not expecting this. The positives on this album do not stop. The song, Wretch is short, sharp, straight in your face. It's got a punky feel. It's got a no-fucks attitude. It seems to peel the paint away on the fucking walls as it's just unraveling towards chaos and then just suddenly ends. 
There's other songs that have just got master strokes of musicianship. Songs like Of Flesh, Weaker Than Ash has so much dynamics, so much tension. It slowly builds from a very humble organic beginning into a crushing affair it's got meaty fucking riffs there's just that little hint of melody again just to knock you off your pace just a little bit before it fucking pummels you again there is massive crushing peaks of noise but it's so anthemic feeling at the same time conjurer have created an absolutely immense debut extreme metal album there is so much going on not only musically vocally in the production as well the influences are everywhere you cannot pinpoint just one influence this band has there is everything from neurosis to gojira to mashuga to cult of luna there is so much going on and the fact that this band has come out of the uk basically with a lot of underground swell and delivered such a stellar debut album means the doors are fucking blown off for this band. The limit is sky high for this band and hopefully people in Australia actually get behind something like this. This is the band that these kids that say, oh, I like to know things before they hit the big time. This is your fucking band. Conjurer should be your next fucking band. This whole album is intense and monumental. I was stunned and in awe and loved all of it. This is for fans of doomy riffs, chuggy riffs, massive barrage of noise. This is for fans of intense, extreme music. This is for fans who want to be taken on a journey for a whole album. This is for fans who don't want to be pandered to and they want to be beaten around the fucking head with massive sounds. I could not get enough of it. This is also for fans of Gojira, Neurosis, Cult of Luna, Mushuga. This is for fans of the underground, and like I said, if you want to follow a band that is from overseas before they hit the big time, Conjurer are going to be the ones. The album we're talking about is the debut release by Conjurer. It's called Maya. It is out on Holy Raw Records now. Make sure you get a copy. We absolutely can't stop frothing about it. We give it a 9 out of 10. So that's it for reviews this week. All done and dusted. Let us know what you think. Do you agree with our reviews? Do you disagree with our reviews? Do you think there's an album coming out or has recently come out that we might have missed that needs to be reviewed? Hit us up. Send us an email, themoshzone at gmail.com. Send us an inbox or a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Our handle is at themoshzone. Also, don't forget you can hit us up through the website as well, which is www.themoshzone.com. Also, don't forget to get in touch if you're in a band and you have something coming out soon, whether it's an EP or an album and you'd like it reviewed on the show. Get in touch through email, website or social medias and we'll get your stuff on the show. Coming up now is my chat with Brock of 36 Crazy Fists. I cannot thank the man enough for taking time out of his busy schedule for the Mosh Zone. Absolutely stoked to have the man on the show. Before I started recording this show, I made a list of about 20 artists who I wanted to speak to 
who I loved and idolised. I've been obsessed with 36 Crazy Fists since their major label debut, Bitterness the Star, and Brock was in there in my top few that I wanted to speak to, and to get the chance to chat to him was an absolute amazing moment for me and the show. Not only that, but he's an absolute dude, such a nice guy, such a legend. It was even better to speak to a man that is someone fun to chat to. I can't thank Brock enough for not only replying to my emails and inboxes, but for also actually taking the time out for the show. As a underground, unknown podcast in the game, getting people to come on the show can be a challenge at times. People either don't respond to you or they just send you an email of a PR person from their label or management who then also just doesn't reply to you. So the fact that Brock actually replied meant a lot. It meant so much to me that I can't actually give words to it that justify how big it meant. To then actually be able to organize it was even a bigger moment. When it's an artist I've idolized and loved for so long, to have a milestone moment of having him on the show It just creates such an exciting buzz for me about the show and where we're going. Brock, I'll always be indebted to you for taking the time out for the Mosh Zone and making this fanboy of the band so fucking happy. So enough of all my ramblings of excitement and thank yous. The chat with Brock of 36 Crazy Fists is coming up now. So... I kind of know through my own passions and research of of you and the band, but tell everyone listening, how did you actually discover heavy music or the heavy style of music? Well, boy, let's let's take her back, I guess. Um, When I was a kid growing up, uh, my older sister, her bedroom was right near mine, and she was really into... Bands like Duran Duran and uh, Cindy Lauper and Madonna and, and things of that nature. Uh, so I was getting, you know, pummeled by that music. And I also liked that somewhat until I, I believe in the fourth grade, I heard the band Rat and they had an album come out called Out of the Cellar. And, uh, Still to this day, one of my favorite rock albums. And that was my first introduction to like hard rock. And I think things just kind of went from there with like bands like Quiet Riot and Twisted Sister. Uh, and then fast forward a few years, I think I was into, you know, listening to that same vein of things until eighth grade. Uh, and I discovered Metallica. And everything changed for me when I when I found out about Metallica. Uh, I immediately wanted to be in a band, which wasn't really my feelings before that when I was listening to music. So Metallica did something to me. Uh, it was the first time I heard music that was, you know, fast like that. And that wasn't really punk rock, you know. And uh, so sure enough, as soon as I heard it, uh, it was the summer between seventh grade and eighth grade and i was on a camping trip with some friends and they were playing uh and justice for all and uh 
soon as I heard it, uh, I got into it. But then, like, by happenstance, they were coming to Anchorage, Alaska, uh, like in a month or two later that I found out. So I got tickets with my buddies and we went and saw them. And that was my first metal concert. Uh, and I got right up to the front and Hetfield looked at me a couple times. We had like a, a moment there. <laughs> and uh, he even, he used to pour beer on the crowd back in the day too. And so I got a little bit of beer uh, on my forehead. And uh, I just remember like being just, uh, you know, you talk about fanboy. I mean, I didn't really know much about him then, but just the, the presence that I felt from him was just, you know, life-changing for me. So after that, uh, I was constantly in my room with my hockey stick in front of the mirror, acting like I was Hetfield, you know, and growing my hair out and the whole nine. So I guess that's where, uh, in a in a nutshell, how I got into heavy music. So was the first album you bought with your own money a Metallica album? No. Uh, the first album I ever bought was Michael Jackson Thriller. Oh, classic. Uh-huh. And right after that, which is odd... I bought Ice-T Power. Oh, wow. It was either Power or Rhyme Pays. I can't remember which was which. Anyway, uh, yeah, I had the early, uh, as much as I liked rock music, I also liked like early hip-hop and uh, rap music. So it was kind of, uh, I didn't really discriminate. I I liked so much music as a kid. Now, what made you want to be a vocalist then? Because... Were you drawn to maybe playing an instrument at first or what was the No, 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 man. I was a straight up uh I won't say jock because there's such a a bad stigma on that, but I was an athlete. I grew up playing hockey and soccer. That was my life. I wanted to play pro hockey. So that was everything for me. And then one day I went over to my good friend's house who was in a band. This is uh our ninth grade year. And uh, he was in a band called the Devil's Square Dance Cult. Wow. Uh, strange <laughs> name. But anyway, their singer was uh, not there at the practice. He was sick at home or something like that. So they knew a couple of Metallica songs. And by that point, I mean, I knew every Metallica song, frontwards, backwards, you name it. So uh, they knew some Metallica songs. So I got up and jammed with them uh, at their practice and their singer never came back and we changed the name to Hessian and that was my first band. Now, did you ever take singing lessons or vocal training or did you just kind of push it and just kind of went with it? Well, not not in the beginning. I certainly didn't. I was just, uh, you know, learning as you go and I really didn't, I definitely couldn't play an instrument. I'd have no theory at all. So it was all just listening to things And, and I remember in the very beginning and still to this day my band would, Definitely make sure I said this. I still have timing issues. <laughs> I was never very good at math. But, uh, you know, so in the beginning, like, you know, when you, you're supposed to come in on four, you know, I could not grasp that whole. I, I'm like, what do you mean four? Like, what's one? What's two? What's three? I, I remember having the hardest time learning those things in the beginning. But uh, I did end up taking voice lessons um, a few records into the crazy fist career so uh snowcap romance when we did that album uh we did it with a guy named james paul wisner and when you went to him uh you also had the option to do voice lessons with his mom who was like a renowned 
uh, voice teacher. So I did do a couple uh, lessons with her. That was my first time ever doing it, which was cool. Um, but then I didn't do them again until I believe Rest Inside the Flames in New York. And I got to take uh, some classes with Melissa Cross, who I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's just a kind of a legend in the, uh, the voice teachings of, of metal singers. She has a, a DVD called the, the Zen of Screaming. Anyway, wonderful lady. And I was stoked to be able to take some lessons from her, but that's it. Uh, just a few here and there. So do you now do warm-ups and everything and scales? Is that now a no, routine? No, no, no. I, I am the worst person to take any advice from. Uh, <laughs> I just know what works for me, you know? And so I, I wouldn't say that I don't warm up because that's just stupid. I mean, I, I do a little bit, but my band would pretty much be laughing at me even saying that I do because I really don't do much. I hum a little bit. Uh, I stretch my neck out a little bit, <laughs> my tongue. But uh, that's it, man. I don't really get into – some guys go really crazy with it, and that's great for them. But for me, I like to – like I said, don't, you know, don't take advice from me. I like to smoke a cigarette and have a beer and shoot some whiskey here and there. So uh, <laughs> I, I just know what works for me. Once I get on the road, once I'm, we're, we're you know cruising along, first weekend is a little – touch and go here and there but then it just kind of gets conditioned and uh and it feels pretty good for the most part as long as you stay healthy so um i've always had fairly decent luck with that now the the band kind of started out with a couple of eps you had boss buckle and then suffer tree around the time of those two eps where did the band feel like they were going did you feel like you were making an impact did you feel like there was a future ahead um yeah i mean i think so uh, the first, like I said, I mean, there was a really good support here from, uh, for us right off the bat. And that's because we had tons of friends that were still living in the area. Uh, the ones that didn't go away to college that were here working. So I mean, we had a, a pretty decent following from the very beginning. So it always felt good. Uh, plus I was finally playing with, uh, nothing against the the bands I had in high school, but we just all kind of sucked together. And when I got with the guys in 36, they were like, you know, some of the best musicians in town. So that was a little bit more special for me as well, actually playing with guys that were just, you know, could play their instruments properly. <laughs> and uh, that was fun. I mean, of course, uh, at that time, I don't think we really – knew what was in store for us of course as far as what the future held but i know that we did want a tour and we wanted to try and uh you know just relocate so we can play more to more people and that was really the only goal we didn't know anything about record deals we didn't know anything about labels uh we didn't know anything about it we didn't know anybody that was in a signed band we didn't know anything like that so all we did was move down to the to Washington first and then down to Oregon. And uh, the, that's where everything kind of started becoming more serious for us. Uh, when we got to Portland, we befriended a guy named Jeff Hill, um, who ended up working for the band for a few years and has been a, a longtime friend of ours. He, he worked metal radio at the college and he was bringing up a lot of bands. He was, he was a promoter as well. So anytime a band would come by, um, he let us open because we kind of all became friends and drank beer together and stuff. So uh, when he started bringing over, you know, Hatebreed and, and Will Haven and Skin Lab and bands like that, we were we were massive fans of all those bands. So 
he would let us open. And uh, so we started getting some good slots in, in Portland and, and making friends there and enemies as well. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, no, uh, that's where things started to get more serious for sure was in Portland. Now, is it, was it in Portland that you guys released your actual debut album, In the Skin? Was that where you guys were yep. located? Yep, that's where we did it. And, and actually, Suffer Tree was released there as well. Boss Buckle was done here in Anchorage, and then uh, Suffer Tree and In the Skin were both done in Portland. Now, In the Skin, when that was released, um, that, that's probably the most different sounding compared to your full label release yeah um yeah yeah at the, at the time was that do you believe that was an actual representation of the band at the time or was that just kind of what resulted boy i mean i guess it was what represented the band at the time i mean i don't know if we what we knew we didn't really know what we were doing what our sound was i mean if you think if you hear some of the songs on boss buckle I mean, there's almost a bit of a, a rap rock feel to that you know and or there's some percussive style vocals anyway. I mean, I would never say I was a rapper because I suck at rapping, but, um, you know, I think in the skin had some moments that I could put towards the, the other albums going forward. And then there's some that are just like, I'm not really sure what the hell we were doing. Um, but it's funny because some of the songs on bitterness of star, uh, were written shortly after, in the skin was done so that's the that's the kind of the odd thing about bitterness of star that thing came out in 2002 but half those songs were written in 1997 98 so it's that's why i think that record always sort of had mixed feelings with us because i think snowcap romance was such a better representation of the band and and what the band the uniqueness of the band uh as opposed to maybe just not being lumped in with all the new metal bands that, that seemed to get lumped together in the beginning. I think Snowcap kind of stood on its own a little more. Now that, that first album for Roadrunner, how did actually linking up with Roadrunner happen? Through the Skin Lab guys, actually, because when Skin Lab came through, uh, they, they were from the, the Bay Area and, uh, befriended those guys steve the singer uh we ended up playing like two or three shows with them in uh two in oregon and then we cruised up to seattle and opened that show for them so uh we were huge skin lab fans and they were uh pretty pretty nice to us and steve took us under his wing and we came down to san francisco and recorded a demo uh with him and then he shopped it around for us a little bit which was totally foreign for us we didn't know anybody at labels like i said and uh so didn't think much of it you know really didn't but he believed in us and uh he thought we had something that he hadn't been seen around so we thought that was cool and uh pretty much we were happy with that you know just that uh, a dude that we really looked up to was interested enough to put his time and his name behind our band so uh shortly after that uh we were working our jobs in portland and i got a call i was working in uh oh adidas warehouse actually Ooh. and i got a call from one of the guys at the house and they're like hey man uh roadrunner is gonna come check us out and we loved roadrunner bands um you know there was so many compilations at death's door all those comps from the early days that we were really into and just just massive fans of that roster so uh when we heard that we were like what we did some funny things i mean i remember us taking some photos and trying to make a press kit to to uh 
just to showcase this stuff um, once we found out we needed one of those. And we were actually in the eight by 10 photo of the band, we were actually putting the Roadrunner logo already on there. Like, <laughs> like we were already on there. Of course we weren't giving those out. We just had it around the house, but uh, sure enough. Uh, yeah. And that's how, I mean, Roadrunner came, uh, Monty Connor, who became our A&R guy, who's a legend. Uh, he came down to Portland. We, uh, we played a show. Um, then he took us out to dinner afterwards and uh, we really didn't even know if he liked it or not until the very end. Cause we were so busy picking his brain about, you know, machine head and Sepultura and obituary and just all these old roadrunner bands. So we were just listening to the stories really. And then uh, we took him. he actually left the same day he got there. So we took him to the airport, like at two in the morning or so before his flight. And uh, he was like, all right, boys, let's make a kick-ass record. So that was the moment we knew that we got signed. Uh, but it was really funny. Cause at dinner we would like, each of us would go to the bathroom at different times and like pat in passing and be like, do you think he likes it? And we'd be like, hey, I don't know, man, I have no idea. So it was kind of funny. And, uh, you know, many, many years later, still dear friends with Monty. Uh, it's funny to think that, you know, we were afraid to really know what he thought. And, uh, anyway, yeah, that was a really special moment in the band's career. The funny thing is we dropped him off at 2 AM. The liquor store didn't open till 10 AM. And we didn't have any beers or anything to celebrate. So we were just waiting. We like called all our parents and like we we're freaking out. Like we got signed and all this stuff. And, uh, but we couldn't celebrate with any beers or anything. So it was kind of funny just waiting. And then I think we proceeded to party for like two months straight after that and not do any music. Now that, that album is definitely what, I mean, being on a major label, it definitely put you in the forefront of everyone's minds. How that, do you feel like that album was a success? Because um, I think fans-wise, that is a lot of people's favourites. Um, right. It was a, a very exciting time in the music industry with that style of music, and you guys were ahead of the pack because you had a different sound. So how did it feel at the time, not only being signed, but having this debut? Um. You know, there were so many cool things about that because, you know, we went and did the album in New York and then we went to Europe for our first time and all these cool things that were happening for the band. So look, I look back on it very fondly. I mean, Roadrunner made our dreams come true in the beginning and, and I'll always be grateful to them for that. Uh, but I think we only toured the album for like maybe four, four to six months. Oh. So I think at overall we didn't feel like Roadrunner at the time was really uh, that interested in us. I mean, there were so many other things going on. I mean, there was Slipknot, there was Nickelback, there was just big bands that were on the roster with us. So we really felt like uh, we weren't sure if we were getting lost in the shuffle or what. And um, But when we did the next record, it was a much better feeling uh, – because that's when we started touring Europe a lot more. And that was where we really focused with Roadrunner was on the European side. They they just had such a, a, a great group of people that worked at that label. And they were more of a promotions uh, side of the label. They weren't really signing too many bands on that side of the world. That was mostly the New York office that did that. So when oh, you got okay. over there, you just dealt with basically the most... I wouldn't call them street teamers because that's probably, you know, uh, 
degrading, but they were like just constant promoters and they were constantly getting you in magazines and just, it just had a different vibe over there for us. So luckily we we've had that same vibe over there since I just got home from there. And it's just a, a wonderful place for our band and it always has been. So, uh, I think like like to answer your question, I think I felt better once we got snowcap done. Okay. Now, um and a little bit of a side question with those. At the start of your, you know, major label career, one big thing that was either drew people to you guys or turned them away was your unique voice. How how did it feel um, you know, giving everything um, giving all of your soul and passion and then some people criticizing your unique sound which i think is, <laughs> which i think isn't i think it's a draw to the band you don't sound like everyone else yeah i mean that's the thing right i mean that's been the career that's been the gift that's been the curse that's uh that's what makes us different than everybody else love it or hate it it's uh it's definitely signature i think hmm. um and I've been proud of that. You know what I mean? Cause obviously I know that it's not for everybody. I've seen the, I've seen the posts, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I, I'm glad that we have something that, uh, is not the norm, I guess, you know, cause so many bands now, I mean, you could put on a, especially in the metal core genre. Uh, there's so many bands that you don't know their name and they sound exactly like the band you thought they were, but they weren't the band you thought they were, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it could be anybody. And some, and we've been guilty of that. I feel like, uh, one of the albums, uh, collisions and castaways, uh, that album, I felt like it, it kind of lost the uniqueness of the band. It, it was like, we wanted to make a heavier album and it was fun to do it, but looking back on it, I think, we kind of lost some of the uniqueness of the band. It was also probably the, the, the lowest morale point of the band as well. Um, right before our longtime drummer, Thomas decided to retire. So, um, anyway, thinking back to all that stuff, I, I definitely think it's probably the reason that we're maybe not bigger, uh, because of my voice. Um, Maybe. I mean, maybe it is because there's plenty of people that don't dig the band because of the voice. So, uh, and initially Roadrunner, <laughs> to be honest, they liked the music. They weren't sure about the vocals and wow. that's funny. Yeah. That was the joke in the beginning of that. Cause we all lived together in the same house and they're like, finally we got a chance and you're messing it up for us or whatever. you know. <laughs> and you know, all up until that point, I thought I was the main dude. you know. <laughs> so, uh, it, it kind of brought me back to planet earth. That's for sure. And, um, but like I said, you know, I have long, long ago accepted that that is, uh, what we have in our band that makes us different than the next, but, uh, it may not be what everyone's looking for sometimes. And, and that's fine. That's totally fine. And then you guys, as you were saying, you kind of touched on that you left Roadrunner and you jumped over to ferret, um, for the tide and its takers and then i think you also did collisions and castaways with them as well um right was part of the reason as you said before that you know you didn't feel like you were really getting pushed by roadrunner anymore i do know from memory rest inside the flames was delayed i believe yeah 
Yeah, yeah. That's where everything started going pretty south with them and us, uh, at least in the American side of things. Um, yeah, I mean, we just we didn't feel like uh, enough people at the label really believed in the band. And that's a tough position to be in. And I know that for a fact there was definite people there that didn't enjoy the band. And so when you are in a working environment like that, you can't really have much belief in it you know what i mean and uh when we had the opportunity to go to ferret whom was our dear friend carl who used to work at roadrunner um when we went to Ferret, we were like we knew all the guys there all the guys that were there were in bands and it just seemed like a more brotherly spot and uh i loved the two two albums with uh ferret ferret the only reason we got off ferret was because ferret ended up selling to warner and uh then they just disbanded it so um yeah that's i mean that's how we got to where we are today on fine farm because there was no more ferret now around the time of collisions and castaways as you said thomas left um it was the only album with brett i believe on it um and then you had a lot of family stuff going on as well and then it kind of 36 kind of disappeared a little bit because obviously it's not a priority when there is family issues going on it's understandably going into the background was yeah. there was there ever a period during that time that maybe it was okay maybe 36 is done was there any yeah 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 definitely because uh we had a little meeting um with thomas and holt and i steve our guitar player um and Thomas said he was going to quit. And I had been playing in bands with Thomas even before 36 started. So I had been playing music with him for 20 years already at that point. That At that point, he had been in the band for 18 years. Uh, he was he was just over it. And, you know, the last few years touring with Thomas was miserable. He hated touring. He wasn't uh, a fun person to be around. And he'd be the first to admit it. Uh, he's much happier now, and I think it was the best thing he ever did for himself was quit the band. Uh, but I didn't think we were going to go on with. I mean, we had done all this stuff together, and, and we I never really felt like we could get somebody that wasn't from Alaska. Number one, uh, when Mick had to go away, we got Buzzard, who's Brett, and that was Steve's guitar tech. He filled in for a couple years, and that didn't feel very good either. So. It just seemed like uh, maybe it's time to hang it up. You know, we had a great run and it was a lot of fun. And, you know, maybe it is. So uh, there was about a month or so where I don't think really any of us talked to each other, really. And uh, then one day uh, Holt hit me up and he's like, hey, man, what do you think about jamming with Kyle? And I knew Kyle from Portland. He, He was in bands that would open for us and he was just a young, cool kid. And I was like, wow, yeah, that's pretty cool. And and actually, funny enough, Thomas had broke his hand skateboarding in the parking lot on the last day of one of our U.S. tours. And that was in Seattle. And so there was a bunch of friends from Portland coming up to see the show. Uh, and Kyle was one of them. And, well, we didn't think we could play the show. And Kyle was like, well, what? what do you guys you guys need i'll play i know every one of your guys' songs and i was like what you do and he's like yeah i I know every single song and i was like that's strange and really awesome and uh and so he did he played the set for us and he killed it and uh anyway that that was kind of always in our mind that uh if well when thomas did 
get out, then I was like, well, we could get Kyle. And uh, literally to where we are right this second, it's one of the main reasons that I think the band's still going is because we did get Kyle because he's just young. Uh, he never had really had the opportunity to tour and he had all this energy and excitement. And there was these rules before Thomas left. There was like certain songs we couldn't ever play anymore because he hated them. And oh, there was all these things that we just kind of accepted. And when Kyle came into the band, he's like, dude, we can play whatever you guys want, whatever you guys want to play. I know all the songs. And he really did, which is crazy. He's got a crazy memory. Uh, but yeah, it became a lot more fun again. And I think I, I definitely Mick coming back into the band and having Kyle, I think really breathed a whole new life back into the band. Now that, that album that he came back into and that you guys kicked things back off again was time and trauma. Also probably being honest, it's probably the most raw and emotional lyrically that you've done. Is, yeah. is it an album that you, um, obviously it was cathartic for you, but is it an album that you can go back and listen to because you know what you went through on that? Or is it kind of you um, avoid it? I mean, I would hate to act like I never listened to my own music because that's not true, but I rarely do. And, and if I hear that album, which it's been a long time since I've heard it, uh, you know, I don't think I, I think I'm indifferent to any of the albums. I think they're all like kind of like time vaults. You know what mm. I mean? Like you, I kind of can get taken back to where I was during those times. And usually I'm happy I'm not in that place anymore, uh, especially on time and trauma. You know, that was, you know, heavily uh, lyrical content on the passing of my mom and just that whole time frame and just that mind space that you're in on such loss. So, um, I think more or less, I, I feel it more when I'm playing the songs live oh. and I kind of, I don't really focus 100% on the lyrical content live because live is a different animal. You know, you're trying to connect with the people, you're trying to get them to move and uh, jump up and down and scream and put the horns up and all those things are also part of the live experience. So you're not always, or at least I'm not, I'm not always 100% focused on the lyrical content. But sometimes with some of those songs, those songs more than maybe any, and including the new album, had I really started really feeling those words in the live sense. Wow. that I mean, that would just make for even more of a intense setting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I, I really did notice that I was, actually thinking about those topics more in the live sense than I had been in years prior. Now that, that, that album. And then you mentioned um, the recent one lanterns. It feels like you guys are back with a, a raw sound. Like it is still, still 36, but it's raw and more intense. And in a good way, it's more straightforward. If that makes sense. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. Do you feel like this is, a very exciting time, obviously going forward. I think it's a, a freeing time. Um, it's like, it's at the point where we're in our 24th year and really you, we can do whatever we really want. I mean, I really think we've gotten to that point where it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we 
we could put out a, a full acoustic EP and be stoked on it and not really care if that's what we're supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I think you get to a point in your career where you just, you got to have some sort of freeing feeling that you can feel comfortable and, and not be so, mm, you know, so focused on what's supposed to be the next down. Yeah. Um, so I think I feel that way. Um, the dark, moody, bluesy, eerie vibe that I enjoy that bands like Alice in Chains and the Deftones have always been, in my eyes, you know, kind of the masters of that. That's the world that I like to live in for our band. I mean, not saying that we can do what they do. I just feel like that's the vibe I like to try and channel for myself. I definitely think it's come across, especially in Lanterns. And it's, yeah, yeah, I I love it. I can't get enough of it. Um, Yeah, cool. Thank you. Now, um, not much left um, to go with what I wanted to just ask you. One thing I wanted to ask is, you said it's 24 years. How does it feel to still be doing what you love, to still be giving it a go? Yeah, it's something I'm extremely grateful for, extremely proud of. And, um, yeah, man, it's, it's incredible that we've lasted this long and we're still doing it. And we just did a, a, our, our first European tour for this album and most of the shows sold out and it was so fun. And, and I really had some moments to myself where I, I wouldn't say I was, I, I definitely wasn't crying, but I was extremely emotional about it, about how how can it be getting better? You know, it's getting better still. And that's, we've always been this band that's been on the slow climb, but, but the climb has always been there. And I'm really thankful for that. You know, then that's a tribute to the people that are, you know, interested in our music. They still support it. And, and without them, we would have quit a long time ago. You can't, you can't last this long without having some sort of, legion of loyal listeners you know what i mean and uh we surely have a great group of people that support our band and uh we're like i said we're just extremely grateful for it speaking of legions of fans you have a massive australian fan base that are yeah that are crying out for you guys to come back last time you were out was with i believe it was a treyu might have been I think it was yeah, I think we came back and and the last time was 2011 for Soundwave. Soundwave, yeah. So is possibly an Australian tour going to happen on the horizon? I mean, here's the thing. I, I I was, you know, beating down the doors on the last album about getting to Australia. I mean, here's the weirdest thing is I do more press for the albums in australia than anywhere else i mean <laughs> the uk is usually pretty heavy but this on time and trauma and on lanterns i did way more press for australia than anywhere in the world now to me that means yeah we got to get our asses there because it's it's the right thing to do and the fans were always amazing there the problem has been uh for some reason financially it has not been able to work yet um and i really don't know how much of a loss we're talking about that we would take to go but at this point uh 
we got to figure it out. So I, after the, uh, after getting home now, I've been home for two weeks and I just had a talk with my agent. I have stressed how important it is to get there by the end of this year and he's working on it. Um, so it's got to happen. And then, I mean, we're going back to Africa for our first or our second time here in April. I mean, if we're going back to Africa, we got to get to Australia. I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and I, and I love that we're going back to Africa because it's incredible, but I mean, if we can do it there, we can get to, we can also get to Australia. So uh, that's the plan. And it's definitely going to happen. I hope this year um, it's definitely a big priority to the band. Oh, that's sick. That's great news. Um, even if it's not this year, if it's next year, we'll be we'll be fine with that. Um, yeah, I'd like it to be this year for sure. Now, an interesting thing I wanted to ask is, you know, you've been in the music industry since, you know, early, mid-90s. Um, you've seen big changes in the industry, going from the change to CDs, then the change to downloads, then the change to streaming. Do you see where do you see the music industry nowadays? Do you see it's in a positive light, or do you see it as quite confusing? Yeah, it's definitely confusing for sure. Uh, all those formats, you know. Um, I'm still, I'm still in the CD world, you know. Like uh, selling CDs at shows is still important, and I think that's where my head's at mostly. Anyway, I I am way more focused on the live sense, the the merchandise, and the the live show that's where we make our money that's how we have sustained ourselves so the streaming and all that stuff i don't know where that's going and 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 how you really grasp it and you know we're not very good at that which you know i don't know some people seem to have a better grasp about it than i do but um i get my i you know when i want to listen to an album i buy it on itunes these days uh i don't really use the streaming services I mean, I have checked out Pandora and Spotify and things of that nature. And we've done some things for Spotify when the albums come out and make our playlists and all that things. But I don't really even, I really don't think about it that much. My thing is if I want to buy an album, I go on iTunes, it's on my phone. I plug it into my truck when I get in it and I crank it out. That's how I, I still have a booklet of like a million CDs in my truck, but uh, they rarely come out. Yeah, I love it. That's the old school. I'm the same. I still, I still love having the real deal in my hand. Um, yeah, me too. And that's the lame thing about the iTunes thing, not having the album title or the album, the physical copy. You know, I, I like looking at the, the artwork and the lyrics. I mean, that's still, I mean, we grew up with that. And that's cool. I, I'm glad to see that the vinyl has to become something that you must have on a release as well. Um, minus uh, Snow Capped and Rest Inside the Flames, now all our albums are on vinyl. So, we got to get those other two on vinyl, which would be really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, as far as it goes, I'm, I like looking at it. I like having it in my hands and uh, I would still be buying CDs, but I really, to, for the life of me, I can't think of a place in my town in Anchorage where I could go buy a CD right now. No. Maybe at Target, I guess, but they don't really sell the CDs I like. Mm. Um, last question was, do you feel... I mean, you're saying how you guys are happy just doing whatever you're doing now. There's no real feel of pressure. But do you ever think that there is a kind of pressure to stay relevant and stay in the eye of fans? Now that they've got streaming, now that kind of like in a blink of an eye they can be a fan of a band in Poland, is there any pressure to stay in the mindset of fans? 
Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I can't say we're completely oblivious to that mindset. Uh, you want to be relevant. I mean, and and that's one of the things that I used to always say, as long as we're still relevant to our people, you know, then it's it makes sense to keep doing it. So you want to be relevant. You don't want to be putting out things that are people are like, yeah, they used to be good. They're not that good anymore. And you're just going through the motions and doing it. I don't want to be that band. I still want to be pushing the envelope. I want to be, you know, doing something that we feel uh, is the next step for the band. I don't want to go backwards. So I guess there is still the sense of hunger of, of trying to get better at our craft and, and never repeating ourselves too much you know but at the same time not not straying from the path too far either so uh yeah answer your question i think it is important to be relevant uh at least somewhat um because like you need your people and if they're not behind you then it's not as fun and would you have any advice for you know starting out bands or current bands that are pushing through the motions I mean, I feel sort of bad for the bands that are trying to get out there and do it because I think it's much harder these days in some sense. And then it's also pretty easy to get your music out there, which was more difficult when we were starting out. So there's the goods and the bads, of course. But uh, my advice, I guess, is just, you know, find some people that you really enjoy being with and can really tolerate in small spaces for long amounts of time and uh, create something that's, you know, honest and not ripping anybody else off too much. I mean, everybody has their influences, of course, but, uh, you know, try to create something that's honest and that's your own, your own thing. Sick. Now, Brock, before I let you go, I do a segment called pick your poison. I do it. Okay. At, I do it at the end of every, um, every chat. Basically it's a, a would you rather, you got two options, and look at it this way. This is all you get for the rest of your life. Which one would you take? Okay. We, okay. We've got pizza or burger. I'm going to go pizza. Nice. Um, chicken or beef? I'm going to go beef. Okay. Now, this one's going to be interesting because of where you live. Beach or snow? <laughs> Man, I'm dreaming of the beach all the time, but we got a ton of snow out my window right now. Uh, you know, I'm a winter guy. I gotta, I gotta stay with what I know. I grew up, I was born here, so uh, I am a son of the north, and uh, I'll take the snow. Cat or dog? Dog for sure. Uh, cinema or on the couch? I'm gonna say on the couch. Nice. Um, Terminator or Predator? Terminator or Predator? Is that what you said? Yeah. Um, boy, I'm going to go Predator. Ooh, okay. So Sly or Arnie? Sly. Oh, nice. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. <laughs> um, this one, I'm just going to have the same one. Hockey or hockey? <laughs> yes, both. <laughs> um, <laughs> Slayer or Pantera? Wow. That's really hard for me, man. That's really hard for me because uh, I love both of those bands so much. I'm going to say Pantera. Okay. And last one, touring or recording? Touring. No nice. doubt about it. 100%. No, um, all done. Thank you so much, Brock. Really appreciate it taking um, time out of your day, dude. Really, really, really appreciate it. Yeah, and that was fun. I'm glad we did it. I'm, I'm glad you reached out, and I appreciate the uh, 
the support and all the kindness that you showed me. It was, uh, it was nice to hear. So that was our chat with Brock of 36 Crazy Fists. I cannot say again how thankful I am to the man for taking time out. I reached out, sent him a message, he got back to me, and next thing I know, I'm chatting to one of my favorite artists. Absolutely great chat. Thank you again, Brock. Hopefully you get down to Australia soon, and hopefully we'll have a beer when you get down here. That's it for the show this week. All done and dusted. Episode 9 wrapped in the can. Hope you enjoyed the show. We've got another big fucking show on next week, episode 10. As always, get in touch. Join the Mosh Zone community. Don't forget, like and follow our social medias, all of at the Mosh Zone. Don't forget, send us an email, themoshzone at gmail.com. And also, spread word about this podcast let's spread it to all the people we know let's try and grow this show and grow this community the more help you give us the more ears we get to the show thank you for tuning in again i hope you have a great week stay safe open the bridge